Welcome to Ars Equi, the podcast on all things law and technology. I'm Tima. I'm Paul. And on this episode, Your Honor, I'm a cat. So welcome to another episode of the Arzekwi podcast. It's been a while, hey? Yeah, it's it's great to be back though. It feels so good to be back. I missed chatting to you, Paul. <laughs> I missed chatting to the people. Right. I missed I just missed the whole vibe. So I'm really excited to be back. Yeah, yeah. I hope you I hope you had a great time with our colleagues from the department with the Pass the Mic series where our colleagues presented their uh, research projects at the department. Uh, and now we're back with a brand new series. We're calling it Digital Justice. And we want to explain uh, the digital aspects of access to justice and how technology can make it easier for you to get your rights enforced. Right. So, I mean, the title might sound a little strange, Your Honor, I'm a Cat, but it's in reference to the super hilarious um, clip that went viral a couple months ago. And it's basically this lawyer in Zoom court and he has a cat filter on his face and he keeps saying, no, Your Honor, it's me. Um, I'm not a cat. Whatever, whatever. I'm not a cat. (laughs) And then the assistant comes and tries to get yeah, it off. Yeah, tries to like get the filter off on the Zoom court. And it's a whole thing, but it's so funny. And there's so many funny clips that have come from Zoom courts and like these virtual hearings that have been mm-hmm. taking place. So we thought it would be super interesting to dive into this, like talk about the legal aspects, pros and cons. And, you know, what does this look like for us in the future when we want to have access to the court? Yeah, because this wasn't really common before um, COVID that you have a video conference where you have also legal proceedings. Uh, this has been done in certain cases and mm. I, we have some examples for this. Uh, but mostly it was just people sitting in a room and, and talking. Exactly. So, I mean... One case that I definitely heard of in law school was um, cases that dealt with children, especially Mm -hmm. children who were victims of sexual abuse or physical abuse. And oftentimes the court would use video conferencing mechanisms because they didn't want the child to appear in court under like the stress and in front of all these people. So the child would be in another room in the courthouse with like a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. or a social worker. And then they would kind of be a video conference and there would be a TV or a screen in the courtroom. And the judge would ask the child questions um, from a distance Mm -hmm. or communicate with the child from a distance. And this was done because it was, you know, in the best interest of the child to keep them outside of the courtroom. Right. And these advantages also stretch to other areas, which... um we will talk about, but mostly, so before COVID, if there was a witness that was in another country, for example, this was a huge deal for them either having to travel or, uh, which was the Austrian solution, like if inside Austria you had to uh, kind of get a witness statement that was living somewhere else at the other end of the country, they could actually come to a court in their region mm-hmm. and then testify before a judge there. And then it will just be a protocol, which won't even be word for word, but just a summary of what they said. Exactly. And this would then be sent to the other judge. Right. And it, was, it also placed difficulties on courts having to book rooms, right? right? So there's only so many courtrooms and they are like, hundreds and thousands of cases. So lots of cases sat on the docket for months, sometimes even years, because booking a courtroom, finding times when judges were free to hear certain cases or whatever was so problematic. So much logistics. Exactly. So the backlog is something that Zoom court has really Mm. um, dealt with. Mm -hmm. So anyways, um, we're going to talk a little bit about access to justice, right? And whether or not, or what the pros and cons are with Zoom courts or virtual Mm -hmm. hearings in relation to this. 
Right. So we decided to take a look at the definition for the right to a fair trial, mm -hmm. which uh, is in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and is also in a couple of other legal documents uh, outlining human rights. Yes. So um, the right to a fair trial is essentially something that you'll find in like almost every democratic constitution. And it has a lot of different elements of what constitutes a fair trial, right? So a trial mm -hmm. has to be fair, of mm -hmm. course. It should be open and it should be a public hearing, meaning that it should be done. It shouldn't be done behind closed doors, like all hush-hush. It should be done mm -hmm. out in the open where people can have access to that information. And soon court, at least in some parts, changes this. So uh, on the one hand, for uh, considering, for example, the right to public trial, mm -hmm. uh, this is quite different because normally you can the the times when court um, when when hearings are held is posted publicly somewhere, and you can just go into the room and just sit there and watch this, even without any justification right. uh, whatsoever. But with Zoom, it's on the one hand harder to do this because you need to know the access data, or you need to get someone to let you in on mm. the one hand. On the other hand, it's much easier to be recorded and, and then shared. Right. So a lot of courts, especially in the US, have been um, circumventing this or making sure that they give effect to this public hearing mm. right by live streaming on YouTube, mm. Right, which sounds crazy. I mean, it's very American, it. honestly. It's very American because... Like nowhere else. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're, they're like streaming it live on TV, then they yes, can also stream it live on yes. YouTube. Like the difference isn't that. So now um, you can go on YouTube and you have access to. I did it while I was researching for this. I just kind mm -hmm. of went down a rabbit hole on YouTube and had access to like crazy cases and all these interesting different things that you can see. But that's kind of how um, Zoom doesn't necessarily have to circumvent this mm -hmm. right to having the case be heard by the public. Right. So maybe let's break this down a bit, like why there is a right to a public trial. So on the one hand, there is, um, you really, as an individual, can um, go there and can see how justice is done. So you can convince yourself that this is right and this is fair, mm -hmm. right? True. And also in many cases, at least the conception of a crime mm -hmm. was that crimes were committed against communities. Mm -hmm. So even though there was one individual or a group of individuals that were directly affected, mm -hmm. the notion is that a crime affects the entire community. So the idea was that hearings should be public so that the community can be involved mm -hmm. in the bringing about of justice. And the idea was that the community would be able to heal and see mm -hmm. justice be done in front of their eyes and be able to move on from the crime. I think that's kind of like the archaic notion mm -hmm. around having a public trial. Now, if this is publicized and kind of becomes a spectacle, how yes. it's how does, uh, sometimes become, and especially in, in high profile cases. So for example, what we're having now going on in Austria, mm. uh, but also other cases where it's like uh, really vicious crimes that mm. are like attract a lot of public attention. Uh, this can also be a downside, right? Right. And I think also one thing about publicizing it on YouTube is that it takes it beyond the community. Mm. It even takes it beyond the country where the mm. crime takes place. Like I'm here in Austria watching YouTube videos about cases that happen like in Tennessee. You know what I mean? Like that has nothing to do no, with me. I'm that... not the affected community. But now we all have access to this information. We all have access to watching these cases. And does that affect the victims in a negative way? Does mm -hmm. it affect the defendants in a negative way? And does it trivialize the whole legal process when court cases become memes? Right. I mean, like even without public publicizing the whole proceedings on YouTube, even then uh, accused or stigmatized and yeah. there's a whole media 
Um, what is the word? Like a media frenzy? Media yes. frenzy is the word, right? Right, media frenzy. Like OJ style, media yeah, frenzy. Ex ex yeah, exactly. Like, this is what I'm thinking of. And like, media going crazy. And um, it, this, this, even if they are acquitted, then yeah. still this, the stigma remains. Yeah, so, I mean, that's definitely what we can put on the con side mm -hmm. of this type of virtual hearing is that One, it lives online forever. So once, if you're a defendant in that case, like you said, if you get acquitted or you win on appeal or something right. like that, you can be like the, the specific case where things were negative about mm -hmm. you or where false information perhaps or really personal information was exposed or came out in front of the court, that could be detrimental to you for mm. the rest of your life. That could follow you because it, the, in, the internet is forever. Yeah. And I mean, there's a law in Austria against recording in, in court sessions, mm. sessions, but still like, how do you guarantee this if it's a Zoom court? Like exactly. at least in, in a physical court, you, if someone like, you know, stands there with their cell phone out, you can, you can see this, but on Zoom you won't notice. Yeah. So, I mean, on the one hand, we are are still giving effect to the right to a public hearing mm -hmm. in the context of virtual proceedings, but there's all these extra negatives that might come into play. Okay, so the next important element mm -hmm. in the right to a fair trial is that the hearing should be done in front of an impartial um, an independent decision maker or decision making body. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, which doesn't really change no. in, in, in some courts. So I mean, we don't have a jury system, so I'm not really sure how it works mm -hmm. when you have a jury. If you can have a jury on Zoom court, that's a question yeah, mark. Yeah. Um, but if it's just a judge, then, I mean, of course, the judge shows up and everything is as normal. Right, right. Okay. I mean, one one point maybe to the fair, um, the right to a fair trial, mm -hmm. uh, because, like, uh, we, we do have some advantages there, and I, I quickly want to talk about this. So, for example, cost factor. Oh, true, yes. Um, so it's uh, much easier if, you are you don't have to travel to court and your lawyer doesn't have to travel to court uh, sometimes over far distances yeah um that this definitely is makes it easier for you um to to even bring claims so it's not even uh, just criminal court but it's also civil proceedings yeah uh which is, can make it easier also you don't really have that much of a like barrier to to do this yeah. really because it's so much easier to you know sit in your living room Uh, and for example, testify or, or um, argue a case as opposed to um, being in court and actually showing up there and going there. And yeah, I know there's definitely a convenience factor, mm. but they also might come in uh, into the cons mm -hmm. is what if people don't have access to internet or good internet? Do we now expect people to go to Starbucks or to go to internet cafes and sit down and have their legal proceedings happen in that sort of a context? Because that's problematic. Right, right. And uh, even even if you have a good internet, normally you have a good internet connection, you can always drop. It might not even be your fault. And exactly. Like what happens then? Like everybody knows the stress when Zoom fails and even if it's just a work meeting. Yes, Uh, so what Now if, if your life is hanging on the balance, it's, it's a bit much. Yeah, so uh, I, I read an article even about prisons in Uganda not having uh, good enough internet to support Zoom calls, mm. uh, which led to, really affected these court sessions uh, negatively because you couldn't really get in, into the call and then yeah. it would drop out and everything. So it was like really a hassle about this. Yeah, and I mean, another thing that goes to fairness is perhaps perhaps um, the credibility of witnesses that mm. appear in these Zoom court cases, right? Because like we said, you who, no one knows who's behind the camera or who's yeah. in the same room as you. So is 
is witness credibility affected by Zoom courts negatively? Because I read some articles where judges were saying that, no, actually they feel like they connect better with the mm. witness because now they can look the witness in the face on the camera and things like that. And then opposing views where judges were saying, no, they don't know who else is in the room with the witness or who might be coaching the witness behind the scenes. So that's also I mean, problematic. I, I, I can see both arguments there, mm. especially considering that probably people are wearing masks in court right now if they yeah. appear um, physically. So, uh, which also makes it harder to really judge the credibility of a witness, for example. Yeah, so definitely the question of fairness is like, mm, it could be fair, fairness might be affected in that. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's one of those things where it really will depend on the case. And like, if the all the parties in the case have access to good internet, if witnesses are trustworthy and all of these things will come into play and could be compromised on Zoom courts. Okay, so another important element of the right to a fair trial is that cases should be held in a reasonable time frame. Mm -hmm. And I think this is something that we have to say is a definite big pro about doing these virtual hearings mm -hmm. is that courts can see case, like different cases quickly and you don't have to wait forever to book a courtroom and find a date and be on the docket and all of those different mm -hmm. types of logistical elements. Right, I read an article on... Um how this works in Canada, where sometimes prisoners are uh, transported from the prison to the court for hours mm. sometimes and have to wake up at like 5 a.m. to then appear in court at 10, which just for like a 10-minute hearing, if if even that. So uh, this really the logistics in all of this is is quite extreme and and doesn't really isn't really on the same level as the importance of the trial sometimes. Yeah, so I think definitely that is a huge um, thing. And also with cases that are quite easy cases, mm -hmm. it kind of feels like the time frame issue becomes even more relevant because if it's quite a quick case that the court can, you know, listen to the argument and make a decision, then why does it need to sit on the docket and wait for three months or four months when those cases could be resolved a lot quicker? And also, um, the the hearings themselves might be easier, might be quicker. Um, I, I saw one argument that evidence can be pr uh, presented easier, at least digital evidence. Yeah. So like this makes it easier, more uh, more simple, simply. Exactly. Okay. So the final element on the right to a fair trial that we're going to discuss is the element of having representation. And like Paul said earlier. Perhaps having virtual hearings makes it easier and cheaper to have representation mm -hmm. because lawyers can handle more cases in a day. They don't have to travel from one court to the next court and things like that. And also travel costs are eliminated, which mm -hmm. would typically be something that would be charged to the client. Mm -hmm. So now the client can, you know, save on those costs and perhaps it gives you access to better legal representation. Right, because you can choose a lawyer that doesn't live in your city or the city where the trust is held. Exactly. So that's definitely a, a major pro. So, and another thing that doesn't really fit into the whole, the things that we're talking about, but it's kind of something that I read on the side was that um, a study found that there's been increased safety in domestic violence cases. And a lot of victims in domestic violence cases feel that having their trials on Zoom has made it easier mm. for them to face the um, defendant, made it easier for them to testify without feeling, you know, pressured or feeling scared. So like all these different elements are also important. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the, the same argument as you mentioned in the beginning, right, mm. with the children exactly. uh, testifying over over video conference even before COVID, 
Uh, and this also extends to victims of, of crime, especially if it's um, sensitive ones. Yeah. Okay, so let's just discuss other pros and cons, perhaps, that you might think could be problematic or Yeah, so, so I read a lot about um, l- lawyers and especially judges complaining about the ceremony of the trial, so that it's so unceremonious. I think, you know what? I think the legal fraternity, we love... The ceremonies, especially mm. if you come from like a legal order that's quite ancient, mm. um, like if you still practice English law, Roman Dutch law, like in South Africa, mm. then it, there's quite a whole ceremony with court cases, right? The judge coming in, the black robes, everybody standing up, the advocate advocate going to the front like it's a whole mm-hmm. song and dance yeah yeah and i, I mean, think the uh, lighting the candles yeah. in austria during the oath and it's like symbols so many yeah, symbols symbolic yeah. and i think people love that and i think for a lot of judges don't hate me there's a ego thing attached to definitely you know being able to stand up there and mm. everybody stands up when you walk in i understand it but i don't think it contributes to a fair trial, I don't think it's necessary for justice to be administered for all of these ceremonies to be in place. Especially because so many uh, trials aren't even that emotional or yeah. are that like official or, or ceremonious. Yeah. So it might just be, you know, two companies in a trademark dispute. Like there's no conflict resolution needed. It's just like, what does the law say and, and how is the, the case decided. Exactly. Or like a traffic violation. Right. You know what I mean? There's no reason that you have to have all of the song and dance over traffic violations or things like that. And, and I mean, the ceremony can even be intimidating. Exactly. So if you have to appear in front of court and this is going to be this whole thing. Yes. Like it's more, on, on Zoom at least, it's more... Uh, like dealing with a normal government entity and like mm. just going to another office. It definitely reduces the anxiety. Right. And that could mean that people would actually bring cases. Mm. People would actually report domestic violence issues or, you know, actually sue people or do, you know, really enforce their rights mm. if they didn't feel the stress and the pressure of going to the courthouse and dealing with all the blah, blah, blah that comes along with that. Right, right. Another thing that's important is kind of the confidentiality and security from a technical perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think this is an important point that a lot of um, judges and lawyers who argue against um, these virtual hearings really kind of harp on. Mm -hmm. And they are really worried about, you know, personal information, court information being leaked and going Mm. into the hands of wrong people. I mean, in April of last year, Zoom had a huge data breach, which resulted in passwords and people's accounts being posted on the dark web and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I think from a data protection, confidentiality, security, privacy aspect, Mm. that's something that we need to consider. Definitely. So if, for example, an anonymous witness um, whose, whose identity is supposed to be protected and its data is leaked... Uh, that could be an issue, yeah. and and in general, it's and especially because most of it, because most of these trials are held by Zoom, and this is why we've called it Zoom Court yeah. for now. Uh, I think Austria uses Bebex, uh, but it's still like private companies uh, producing the software yeah. and not the government being in control of this. Yeah, so that's also a question that we need to think about when we think about where are we going. You know, mm-hmm. so um, final question to you mm-hmm. is where do we go from here? Do we now? So when you know, things are better mm-hmm. pandemic-wise or we have wide, more widespread vaccines mm-hmm. and things like that. And we go back to being able to go into a courtroom. 
Do we go back to what we were doing? Do we stick with Zoom courts? Like, what do you think? What would you do? I, I feel like most of it is going back now. So yeah. like, that's just the tradition. That's what everybody's used to. And so it's like the movement uh, towards like normality mm. as in, in so many areas. So this is more or less the one extreme, just go back to normal and everything will stay the same. Which I don't agree with. I don't like that extreme as an option. I mean, I know we've weighed the pros and the cons, mm. but I do think that um, Zoom is proposing a hybrid system mm -hmm. and I feel like we're hybriding with everything like even work from home now we're in a hybrid work from home system but Zoom is promoting promoting a hybrid system which I kind of like mm -hmm. in the one sense they're saying um, let's keep Zoom hearings for trivial quote-unquote mm -hmm. cases for simple traffic violations cases that don't necessarily need to be in front of a court mm -hmm urgently or need to be in front of a court because of matter of sensitivity and mm. things like that. Let's do those cases on Zoom. They're also saying let's do divorce proceedings, which could get really heated and mm -hmm. things like that. Let's do those cases on Zoom where we can de-escalate the situation. Yeah, yeah. And then more sensitive murder, high intense criminal cases or cases that, you know, result in a massive outcome and really affect people's liberties and mm -hmm. freedoms and things like that. We do those cases in person. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the other end of, of, of the extreme, so the other extreme is um, doing it all online and, and having virtual proceedings, sometimes even without Zoom, but just doing it written and maybe not even having a judge. Yeah. So one example how this could work is uh, when you look at eBay, uh, they have this kind of dispute res resolution mechanism. So between buyers and sellers on eBay, uh, if either the, the price doesn't get paid or um, the, the seller doesn't deliver the, the good, uh, then this goes to this kind of mechanism for uh, dispute resolution. And it's really uh, simple because there's no human involved. So mm. essentially uh, the one side brings its claim, the other side responds to it, then they can either uh, settle the case or eBay decides, which is automatic in most ways. Mm. And um, this really has um, a lot of cases. So there were 60 million dispute settlement cases oh, wow. until 2010. Whoa. So from like the, the must have tripled by now, right? Right. Yeah. So this is must. This is the the latest data that I found, uh, but it's low value case. So it's uh, averaging between seventy and hundred US dollars. Okay. Uh, so it's simple cases because it's like one legal question essentially, uh, really low value, and um, you know the the, the number. Uh, goes up easily. And they also have this kind of system with strikes. So if, if um, a, a user, for example, doesn't pay the price, then they get a strike and they can appeal this. Mm -hmm. But the first appeal is granted automatically and only the second appeal is uh, really looked at by a human. I mean, that would be the other, other extreme. Right. So automating justice completely in in specific cases. I wouldn't be opposed to that for, you know, little trivial cases, like for traffic violations mm. and things like that. I feel like perhaps if we had some sort of um, government or judicial platform where you could go in, put your case number in, and then they, you know what I mean? And that whole mm. process was automated. That could potentially work, but obviously we're not suggesting that, you know, there should be some artificial intelligence telling you whether you go to jail for 10 years or not. <laughs> Especially because we, we listed all of these rights to a fair trial exactly. and this doesn't um, like fulfill many of them. Exactly. So
So, I mean, it's up to you guys. You guys can let us know what you think. Um, do you think we should go back to what we were doing back in the day, pre-COVID? Should we have this hybrid system that Zoom and a lot of these other platforms are pushing, but purely for commercial purposes mm. for them, but could be good for us? Mm. Or... Are you on the side of eBay going full extreme and automating dispute resolution? Yeah, it would be interesting to hear what you think. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the RSEQ podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with another interesting topic. I hope you stay tuned. Bye. Bye.